When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Putin's speech was frankly a nothing burger and hopes that Europe will need gas quicker than he runs out of troops. We will have a vote on Wednesday and we will see where every senator stands. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Dr. Oz. He's on that screen. He's in the bedrooms of all those women. Are you willing to fight China? Yeah. Will you fight for our kids in our schools? Yeah. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Russia's victory day comes and goes with no surprises from Vladimir Putin. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with the view from Putin's world and a conversation ahead with Angela Stent the author and Putin's sage, who directs the Center for Eurasian, Russian, and East European Studies of Government and Foreign Service at Georgetown. Later, we'll turn to primary season. Bloomberg White House reporter Jordan Fabian will join us on his new column about the role that Roe v. Wade could play ahead of November. And our signature panel is back in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. And that is where we start with Rick Davis joining us from Bloomberg World headquarters in New York. Uh, Rick, the speech from Vladimir Putin uh, was described by uh, retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett today as a nothing burger. He made no news. What did you make of it? That, that must be a military scientific term. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's another example of how little we probably really know about what goes on with Vladimir Putin or the Kremlin. All month long, it was, what kind of victory speech is he going to give? Is he going to call up troops? Is he going to, you know, take on all these uh, conscripts? Is he going to use this opportunity to, you know, change the law in, in Russia to make it easier to fight? And none of that happened. And, and look, I mean, the only conclusion you can make is, he didn't have anything to, t- to declare victory of, right? I mean, like, even he knows better than to say he's winning in Ukraine without some tangible evidence. Obviously, the fight continues, and, 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 and that will be the story for the next, you know, month, two months, six months, whatever it is. But um, I think it's the first recognition by Vladimir Putin that he couldn't get away with just abject propaganda on a day like this where the whole world was watching what he was going to say. 
was still talking about Nazis, though, and, you know, certainly was forwarding, I think, propaganda-like messaging that's been coming from Moscow, Rick. I mean, talking to uh, talking to the people of Russia on this anniversary about the denazification of Ukraine is is quite remarkable on a historical level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it insults uh, everybody's sensibilities around the world. Uh, but that's who Vladimir Putin is. He really doesn't care about anybody else. And and this was his justification for uh, uh, rolling troops across a, a sovereign border. And and, you know, it's kind of the old that's my line and I'm sticking to it. Uh, it, it doesn't work. Nobody around the world is aping that line. He doesn't have a single ally in this cause that's willing to go shoulder to shoulder with shit other than his puppet in Belarus. And, and, and so, you know, you really begin to wonder how long is he going to stay on this shtick of, you know, trying to convince the world the legitimacy of his, of his activities, especially at a time when really most of the energy is being spent toward empowering and equipping the Ukrainian military to fight back and cataloging all the war crimes that are being perpetrated by Vladimir Putin and his troops. Rick, stand by, and we're going to bring in uh, Jeannie Shanzano to the conversation in a moment as well as we uh, look back to this speech uh, just earlier. Vladimir Putin reviving his claim, as I mentioned, that Russia is fighting neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Spoken Red Square on what is, again, Victory Day in Moscow, marking the 77th anniversary of the defeat of Nazi Germany. Uh, what some had feared, though, this is something I discussed last week with Senator Mark Warner, who, again, chairs the Intelligence Committee. Here's what he told us on Friday. I don't think May 9th is going to have anything significant other than what uh, Putin might might do. There's been speculation, and I'm not sure if there's been speculation, that he might make a formal declaration of war against Russia, mm-hmm. against Ukraine, which would allow him to call up all of his reserves. But nothing more than another speech, again, trying to justify uh, the invasion, along with, of course, the pomp and circumstance, the military parade, the hardware, the music, the whole bit that you would expect. And that's where we start with Angela Stent, director of the Center for Eurasian, Russian and East European Studies of Government and Foreign Service at Georgetown University, of course, author of The Definitive Putin's World, which has uh, really gotten us thinking quite a bit at Bloomberg News uh, for the past 10 weeks of this conflict. Angela, welcome. It's it's great to have you with us. I wondered what must have been going through your mind as you watch Vladimir Putin go through this exercise in Red Square. He did not make history. He made no major announcements. Did he seem like he was on his heels to you? Well, he certainly made a very aggressive speech. He did not make history. He repeated all of his talking points uh, that this was uh, a war, um, uh, a preventative war that Russia had to undertake because NATO and the United States and its quote unquote Nazi allies in Ukraine uh, were about to take back Russian territory in the Donbass and Crimea. Uh, And so he repeated all of that and he likened it obviously to 1945 and the Great Patriotic War. It wasn't a very long speech. Uh, He did make some uh, nod to all of the casualties. I mean, he did say that they were going to give more money uh, to the families of the fallen soldiers. He had to admit that because, you know, uh, Western counts say that up to 20,000 Russian soldiers may have been killed. Uh, But yeah, but you should note that even though he did not announce officially general mobilization. They are mobilizing people. They are now sending notices to people in the reserves. People are told you have to come and report for duty, otherwise you're going to lose your job. So that is actually going on, but he just didn't say it formally because he knew that that would be a very unpopular move uh, with the population. You know, I'm just struck, Angela, by the the vision 
of 2005, on, on this day, Russia was marking the 60th anniversary at that point, mm-hmm. more than 50 foreign leaders showed up, including George W. Bush. Exactly. How could Vladimir Putin yep. think he's winning? <laughs> as, he, as he looked around earlier uh, today, how could he have thought he was winning in comparison? Well, he must have convinced himself that he has a holy mission. And you know that this has become religious now, too, a holy mission to liberate Ukraine uh, from the evil West and to reunite Ukraine with Russia. And by the way, Belarus as well. He must have convinced himself that there's no rational explanation for this otherwise. Fiona Hill uh, was speaking with us last week, spoke with uh, Bloomberg Quick Take Uh, suggesting that Vladimir Putin would have done this earlier. He would have invaded Ukraine earlier if the insurrection on January 6th had succeeded. I'd love for you to hear what she had to say and get your response. Here's Fiona Hill. And imagine if Trump had actually succeeded on January 6th and the members of the January 6th committee uh, in the US Congress um, are pretty convinced that we were very close to him succeeding. Had not Vice President Pence uh, basically refused to block the transfer of executive power and uh, had agreed, in fact, to just go ahead, uh, pushed ahead rather than agreed to it. I mean, disagreed with you know, what Trump was asking him to do and had you know, basically um, certified the uh, electoral uh, votes. I mean, we'd be in a totally different place. I mean, Vladimir Putin would have probably just you know, driven right into Ukraine himself because he then would have seen the United States as completely finished from a leadership perspective because we would be no different from any other country in the world that had just had a coup. Now, this is someone who is there, Angela. This is a voice of credibility, I think, on this issue in Fiona Hill. How do you react to that? Well, I think she's quite right, because we know from Trump himself, even on the campaign trail in 2016, said, you know, Crimea was part of Russia, kind of Ukraine wasn't really a country. They took out of the Republican Party platform any words of support for Ukraine. So I'm sure that um, he would not have, you know, the Trump administration, or at least the Trump White House, would have not batted an eyelid uh, if Russia had invaded Ukraine. I'm not sure about the rest of the administration. Uh, But interestingly enough, uh, when uh, John Bolton was asked about this a couple of weeks ago, because Trump said this would never have happened if I'd been president, Bolton right. rejoined it and, and said, actually, Trump, Angela, I'm know, sorry. Barely- I wish we had more time as usual. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Call it a technical term from the retired general, retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who, of course, we hear from often here on Sound On and across Bloomberg Radio. 
With reaction to the Putin speech over the weekend, we were just discussing with Angela Stent and with Rick Davis, who will be back with us in a moment. Uh, not a lot there, certainly not a lot new, according to Kimmett. Here's how he described the speech from Moscow. Putin's speech was, frankly, a nothing burger. Everybody was hoping to or expecting to hear either that he would declare war, he would annex the Donbass, he would mobilize his forces. Uh, he did nothing of the sort. So I think he's just taking a slow, steady approach to this war and uh, hopes that Europe will need gas quicker than he runs out of troops. Which is a pretty grim thought as we assemble the panel now with Rick Davis, along with Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Jeannie, I'd love to get your reaction to all of this, as there were some pretty major concerns going into the weekend. Vladimir Putin did not make good on them, although Angela Stent reminded us that troops are being mobilized. Right, People are being pulled into the military reserves, are being called up. Uh, but he looked pretty lonely up there when you consider 50 world leaders uh, with him in 2005. Putin's world has changed. It has. And, and, you know, I, I get thinking that perhaps it, it reminded me a bit of the false flag operations that the United States kept talking about in the build up to the war that that didn't come to, to play. And, and I kept wondering if, you know, there hadn't been so much, you know, so anticipation that he would use some kind of rhetoric that that there would be some statement today if he might have. In other words, did we take the wind out of his sails, so to speak? Um, that seemed to me what had been going on, because as you mentioned, he seemed like a really lonely person up there without much to say on what is an incredibly important day. 27 million people lost in Russia in World War II. And yet it, today, this is what we heard. His world changed apparently on the 6th of January as well, uh, Rick, when he realized he wasn't going to be able to get away with this earlier, you heard the words of Fiona Hill a short time ago. Uh, Angela Stent didn't blink when she heard that. That does seem to have been an important date in Russian and Ukrainian history, as well as U.S. history. Would you agree? Yes, we uh, we, we tend to get lost in the moment. There's all this action, a war on the uh, ground in Ukraine. Uh, but uh, I really thought it was compelling that Fiona Hill took a step back today and made those comments about the fact that this would all probably have been kicked off on January 6th had Trump been successful in overturning the elections uh, on the Capitol that day. And and that's chilling. I mean, you can just only imagine um, uh, what the world would look out look like today if something yeah. like that had happened. And, and to be honest, you constantly think you live in a world with institutions that can make up for this kind of inconsistencies with its leaders. But at the end of the day, leaders do matter. And I, and I hope that that's something that we have a chance to talk about more between now and even Election Day in the midterms. Well, it's certainly true, uh, Rick. But is it because Donald Trump would have stayed in office or because democracy in that case would have been trashed? There would have been no credible argument against what Russia was doing. Well, those those two things would be uh, uh, in tandem, right? I mean, Trump would have stayed in office had he performed a soft coup, and and it would have been enough to say that democracy was on its back, and that would have been enough for Vladimir Putin to do what he had already started. Remember, he invaded in 2014 and was looking for an opportunity to get in there again, and and no doubt that this would have been that opportunity. Important headline uh, on our Ukraine update on the terminal. Democrats top Biden ask with $40 billion package. We're waiting 
for Congress, Jeannie, to get this together here uh, just yesterday on the Sunday morning shows. I believe it was Face the Nation, CBS. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said that needs to get done this month. It's the 9th of May. You know what the calendar looks like right now. What the heck is uh, taking uh, so long here? Is it the potential attachment of COVID funding like we've discussed, Title 42, or is this going to sail through now that there's a number on it? You know, nothing's going to sail through the U.S. Congress, but I do believe this is the one thing we do see getting done before, you know, they break for the midterm, essentially. And, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi is somebody who has visited Ukraine. We saw the first lady there over the weekend. What's holding this up is that it hasn't been a clean bill. And there's an effort to, as you mentioned, COVID funding and other things to pile on there. But if they can Mm -hmm. keep it clean, they will push this through because it does have widespread support in Congress. One of the few things that can get through in this environment. 40 billion up from 33 billion the president asked for. That's the, it's actually 39.7 to be exact, what Democrats have drafted. It's important though, uh, and it probably won't get a lot of coverage. Maybe I'm wrong, Rick. This uh, this Lend-Lease Act was signed today by President Biden. This This gets hardware flowing even without that money. That's right. I think this is really one of the key things that has happened this week for the U.S. support for uh, Ukraine. This is, of course, a device used in law when Franklin Delano Roosevelt, without wanting to enter the war directly, uh, wanted to support the uh, the British efforts against the Nazis, uh, was able to use to to get equipment and 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 and, and weapons to the U.K. Uh, this is no different. This allows the president to start shipping uh, uh, weapon systems that ultimately may be paid for by this legislative package, but it takes the heat off of Congress to have to do it in order to be able to get those those things in the supply chain. And so it really gives a lot more flexibility to the, the administration, its its military partners around the world to get equipment into Ukraine quickly. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel, as we get our Monday edition of Sound On. My goodness, we're already halfway through the fastest hour in politics and coming back with Jordan Fabian from our White House team, a smart column on the midterms and what he calls Democrats' abortion fury. He's up next. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal Biden taps Democrats' abortion fury as midterm wipeout looms. How about it? Jordan Fabian on our White House team. He's going to be with us next as White House officials seize in Jordan's writing the political opportunity in Democrats' doomsday scenario. First, though, we check the markets. Not trying to connect the dots on doomsday, Charlie Pellet. What happened today? It was an ugly day for the bulls today. In fact, we are at a 13-month low for the S&P 500 index. Uh, obviously, year-to-date, uh, looking at a 16.2% loss for the S&P 500 index. That is the year-to-date number today. The S&P fell 3.2% down another 132. If you're looking at big round numbers, the S&P today closed below 4,000 back at 3991. So stock 
stocks lower, we had a widespread sell-off amid concern about the Fed's ability to tame inflationary spirals without throwing the economy into a recession. The Dow dropped 653, extending last week's declines, down by 2%. NASDAQ down 521, a drop there of 4.3%. Tenure up 23 seconds, 10-year yield 3.06%. Spot gold 18.54 the ounce. West Texas Intermediate crude down 6.1%, 103.09 a barrel. Just getting word from Microsoft, it will help cover the cost of employees having to travel to get abortions or gender-affirming care. I'm Charlie Pellet. That Joe Matthew is a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie, thanks. How dare you was the initial response from Vice President Kamala Harris as she spoke to Emily's List the day that the big draft leaked last week. Hard to believe a week has gone by. And Jordan Fabian's got a great piece on the impact, at least potentially on the midterms. There were a lot of hot takes, a lot of instant analysis. I was part of the chorus uh, in the 24 hours that followed that story. And now that it's had a chance to settle, or at least is beginning to settle, it's good to talk with Jordan about this. And it's, it's great to have Jordan Fabian here. A message you write, Jordan, the White House believes will resonate with suburban women, minorities, and young voters whose support could be key to staving off a loss of Democrats, House and Senate majorities. Uh, you're, of course, quoting an advisor on that who you spoke with for the story. Uh, but it is an important take here with months to go, Jordan. How many single issue voters are there who could actually make a difference uh, in the outcome of this election? I think that remains to be seen, Joe. Uh, it, it, it might not be very many. Uh, but the, the theory of the case here is that the Democrats, in order to improve their slim chances of holding on to majority, need to change this election from a referendum on Joe Biden into a choice election between Republicans and Democrats. And the way it was put to me uh, by Biden advisors and others is that abortion is a part of that effort and, and that they can use to distinguish them from Republicans and try to paint Republicans as extreme. But it's not going to be a silver bullet. It's not something that's going to turn the tide for them alone. It needs to be paired and they're telling with, you know, message on the economy and, and other major issues that voters care about. Then again, it's going to raise a lot of money, right? I mean, wouldn't that alone uh, have an impact on the outcome of some of these races? Absolutely. Uh, you, we heard from ActBlue, the, uh, the democratic fundraising tool that they raised about $12 million in the first day after that draft opinion was leaked alone. And yeah, it's important for buoying uh, the candidates running in some of these competitive races. But also, Joe, it, it's helpful for Democrats in spending money in races that might be seen as a reach, forcing Republicans to spend some of their war chest on those races in order to deplete the money that they have uh, to spend on vulnerable uh, races or, or pickup opportunities in their case. So uh, that, that's what they think is going to be at least one side effect of this issue. Turnout is uh, a big part of this whole story, right? In, a, in an election season that may not have drawn a lot of Democrats to the polls because, my goodness, the you know, we're, we're guilty of this sometimes, Jordan, the, the news media writing about how history uh, and the issues are going to combine into what you refer to as a wipeout here in your call. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think we write it, Joe, in part because it's it's true that the incumbent party usually takes losses in a, in a midterm election year. And, and this time is no different. And in fact, you know, all of the political factors right now are working against Joe Biden and the Democrats. And that's 
demoralized a lot of Democratic voters. They, they don't have a whole lot of reason to show up and support their candidates. A lot of campaign promises unfulfilled, high inflation, uh, Republican attacks. And, and, and the view among Biden's advisors is that this gives at least a jolt of energy uh, to some of his voters, that this gives them a tangible reason to go out in November and, and pull the lever or, or in some cases, you know, send an envelope uh, to vote for the candidate of their choice on the Democratic sure. side. Polls are on the side of Democrats on this issue. Uh, how come, and in some cases they're overwhelming, Jordan, how come that doesn't equal victory in November? It, does it bring us back to inflation and a lot of the other stories that we're talking about, the headwinds for Democrats? That's definitely a big part of the story, Joe. The, the economy and inflation remain the number one issues. And, and the people I talk to don't see that changing, even if the Supreme Court goes ahead and uh, re- repeals essentially Roe v. Wade and, and ends the federal uh, right to an abortion. Uh, that being said, uh, there's other factors, too, that this issue for a long time has been a bigger motivating factor for Republican voters and conservative voters than Democratic voters. We've seen this on issues across the spectrum from immigration to guns, some of these more cultural issues. While the national majority might be on the side of Democrats, uh, there's a more a bigger cohort of voters who are mo- really be motivated in a big way by this issue on the conservative side. So uh, you know, where's the universe of voters who are going to be motivated enough by abortion, for example, to show up to vote? And that's what Republicans said, too, is that this might motivate voters on their side of the aisle as well yeah. and counterbalance Democrats' advantage. You're asking, you know, a lot of good questions here, but isn't it interesting that we haven't been hearing uh, much talk about abortion unless asked by Republican lawmakers and the the rally that Donald Trump held over the weekend, I believe it was Friday in Pennsylvania, didn't even mention it once. It's a really good point, Joe, and it's super interesting because this has really been a 50 year project by the conservative movement to roll back abortion rights. But a lot of office holders realize that this is an unpopular stance among the majority of Americans. So uh, while they may be, you know, winking and nodding to their base saying, we got this done, they don't want to necessarily broadcast it widely to the public to say, you know, hey, we we did this whole effort to, you know, install conservative justices on the bench and and repeal Roe v. Wade. And so uh, you might not hear them touting this as much on the campaign trail as Democrats. Democrats are going to be talking about it. Wait, there's a lot to consider here uh, with a lot of time left to uh, Jordan. And I wonder what you're hearing from those advisors to the president when they consider the amount of time that is left. That's a lot of ads. That could be a lot of marches on Washington. They actually have time to get creative with this. But then again, Republicans do as well. I guess I just wonder how much of, a, of an urgency will there be uh, behind this story come November? It's a great question again, Joe. And the way it was put to me by one advisor who I talked to in in Biden's operation is that there's going to be multiple opportunities for them to highlight this issue Uh, right after this leaked opinion, of course, also later in in the summer when whenever the opinion comes out. And also they said that another opportunity might be in the fall when college students, uh, you know, some of those young voters that they think this will appeal to, you'll go back to college campuses. They see this as an organizing opportunity. And of course, closer to the election in November. So uh, while we're not hearing a whole lot from Joe Biden in in the immediate aftermath of this leak, uh, it's going to come up again and again. Jordan Fabian, find his column on the terminal. Great insights on Bloomberg Sound. We'll reassemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. 
Schmeagle, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's primary day tomorrow, West Virginia and Nebraska this week. But Donald Trump was in neither state Friday night. He was in Pennsylvania, where some consider the real fight to be underway here in part because it'll help determine who wins control of the U.S. Senate. The headline by Mark Niquette on the Bloomberg, Trump puts GOP cloud on the line again as Oz seeks edge on McCormick. Indeed, Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, in the Senate race against Bridgewater, former Bridgewater exec David McCormick. This is one of the most closely watched and most expensive races in the country here. Donald Trump went for it. Not everybody in the crowd loved it, but he was there to make a full-throated Two fists on the table push for Dr. Oz. Here's Trump on Friday. His show is great. He's in that. He's on that screen. He's in the bedrooms of all those women telling them good and bad. And they love him. He came into a place where we had a lot of women sitting there waiting for something unrelated. They started going crazy. Is that Dr. Oz? That's Dr. Oz. As we reassemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Rick, I'm guessing you wouldn't have written uh, the speech that way. Of course, it was not written. But in a, in a, a campaign that's going to be uh, carried out against the backdrop of this Roe v. Wade conversation, uh, how do you think that approach is going to work? You know, I don't think uh, uh, talking to female voters the way that Donald Trump did or has since 2015 is uh, particularly effective. But what do I know? I I grew up in a Republican Party that wanted to recruit women to our uh, party with issues, uh, not with uh, just attractive candidates, although I always thought Ronald Reagan was an attractive candidate, but I wouldn't go where <laughs> Donald Trump did, that's for sure. Uh, Dr. Oz is up too, as I look at the, the poll of polls from Real Clear Politics. Within the margin, I guess you could say here, Jeannie, is is this endorsement uh, going to be tested by David McCormick in a way that changes the sort of appearance that Donald Trump seems to have, the, the hold he seems to have on the party? You know, it is a test for Trump. He did, as we've talked about, he did very well in the first big outing in Ohio, um, particularly with his pick of Vance. But of course, he picked over 20 candidates that won. So he is doing very well. This is a tougher pick for him. Um, and, you know, I thought what was interesting is even though you're right, it's within the margin of error, you have Kathy Barnett right up there. And there mm -hmm. is some speculation, you know, 
potentially McCormick and Oz are splitting uh, the vote. But of course, of course, with the, you know, uh, sort of um, heightened focus on abortion now um, and, uh, you know, whether Kathy Barnett's um, she she put out a four minute video. She's been speaking out about this. She's talked about an exception when the mother's life is at so there has been some, you know, speculation, perhaps that has helped her rise in the polls to a certain extent, but it's going to be close there. That said, mm-hmm. Donald Trump, um, so far, his record in, in this cycle as it is, is pretty strong. And, and you know, he if Oz is going to win, it's going to be because of that endorsement. Well, this is certainly not going to be just another J.D. Vance like we saw in Ohio, Rick, right? Pennsylvania is a very different state. And Republicans are are split on this one. There was booing in the crowd, actually, every time that uh, Donald Trump mentioned the name Dr. Oz, along with a lot of cheers as well. But interesting to see uh, uh, Mike Pompeo uh, come out against Dr. Oz over the weekend uh, because of his dual citizenship with Turkey and suggesting that he'd be a compromised candidate. Did Donald Trump pick the wrong name here? You know, I'm not sure he picked the wrong name. He gets to pick whoever he wants. And typically, as you point out, Joe, it's the difference maker, right? It really took J.D. Vance from third place to first by by quite some percentage points and, and arguably was the reason he won. I, I, there was nothing else happening in that race. This race before Donald Trump even made an endorsement was a dead heat. Uh, McCormick and Oz were, you know, very close to one another. And, and, and from what I can tell, the only thing that you could argue for Dr. Oz in the Trump endorsement right now is it's given him, you know, three or four percentage points, margin of error. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, that may be enough to win, but you've got 75% of the Republican field, 22% and 23% in the latest poll I saw for other candidates on the ballot other than Oz. That's, that's not much of a uh, bump from Donald Trump in this race. Now, maybe the demographics in Pennsylvania are different than they are in Ohio, but but if I'm handicapping this thing and Oz does win, but he wins by a little bit, everyone will say, well, that's because Donald Trump endorsed him. If he yeah. loses, he's going to lose by just a little bit, and I'm not sure Trump's going to take the heat for that. Because they'd say, just imagine how bad it could have been if he hadn't been endorsed by Donald Trump. Uh, of course, David McCormick on the other side of this is uh, it, it just took some serious heat from Trump uh, from the podium here at this rally. Former Bridgewater Associates executive, listen to Donald Trump pick apart David McCormick just to get a sense of how this is uh, coming, the message coming from the other side. Here's Donald Trump again. You know that he was with a company that managed money for communist China, and he is absolutely the candidate of special interests and globalists and the Washington establishment, and those are the people that are not only spending millions and millions of dollars on his campaign, they have unlimited money to just try and destroy us. Which is pretty remarkable, Jeannie, since a lot of those people he's talking about used to work for him, used to work for Donald Trump, and they were helping to support the McCormick campaign. Some of them still are. They are, including McCormick's wife, Dina Powell. So, you know, um, Trump, you know, didn't mention that shockingly. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, what's really important here is that what Donald Trump is doing is unprecedented. Can you imagine any other former president, particularly one who lost, who didn't just exit stage left, 
but in fact has gone on to reshape his party in the way Trump has. Win or lose for the rest of these races, he has an indelible impact on this party. And this is what McConnell and other more centrist Republicans fear. Because, you know, we are looking at a midterm in which all Democrats want to talk about is Trump and all Republicans want to talk about is Biden. So whoever wins that race, ironically, to who gets the most focus is probably <laughs> going to do better than expected. And yeah. so, you know, this is the reality. You know, the number that has astounded me is that Trump has outraised the Republican National Committee in the last six months of 2021 every day except two. Imagine that from a former president. It's astounding what he has done here. Rick Davis, uh, as I mentioned, one issue that did not come up in the address was abortion, Roe v. Wade. Wasn't that something that this president would want to take credit for following his Supreme Court appointments? You know, you would think he would. Um, he has been grappling, Donald Trump has, with his historical support for choice before running for president. And I'm sure it's not the issue that he particularly uh, wants to spend time discussing. Uh, he's delivered. Uh, for the pro-life community, no doubt about it. And that's really his point all along is I'm not going to walk in those shoes, but I can deliver for the people who are in them. And and by stacking the court the way he has, he's given the opportunity for having this happen. But I would say th there are a lot of issues he likes to talk about, mostly his hair and toilets and things <laughs> like that. Um, but, but he's never really liked uh, talking about abortion. And I wouldn't be surprised if he spends very little time on it himself. Obviously, there are a lot of organs in the party who are going to shout about this issue, but it probably won't be Donald Trump. We haven't heard that much shouting, though. Typically, when questioned, and we've there's been a lot of reporting on the talking points and how this is being hashed out in media. It was certainly present on the Sunday morning talk shows uh, here, Jeannie. But what does that tell you? The fact that it's not being embraced by Republicans who are running, what does that tell you about the conversation that's going to be had on the campaign trail here. Democrats can't get to it fast enough. Yeah, we've heard some grumbling that the Sunday talk show hosts were unable to book a, a senator from the Republican side because they didn't want to talk about this. I mean, Lindsey Graham went on Fox, but, you know, yep. for the other shows, they, they couldn't get a Republican out there. Um, and, you know, I think it speaks to the fact that they are uncertain as to how this is going to play. And they are smart about that, which is why, of course, Mitch McConnell's statement over the weekend was so astonishing to so many of us because he actually verbalized that, you know, there was a possibility that the Republicans, if they took the Senate, could pursue, and, and the House obviously, could pursue legislation outlawing or banning abortion on a nationwide level. I mean, that's absolutely astonishing for Mitch McConnell because Republicans have been reluctant to talk about this. And, you yeah. know, I just want to follow up on what on what Rick said. You know, Trump's not the only one who's had a, you know trouble grappling with abortion in his career. So is Biden. The pro-choice community has been frustrated that Biden has never really fully embraced uh, the pro-choice line. And that's partly because, of course, he's famously a devout Catholic. So this is a tough issue on both sides for these men. Boy, Rick, the vote is teed up for Wednesday. Chuck Schumer says uh, every member of the Senate will be called up or down on this. He does not have the votes, uh, as we know here. Would a single Republican vote with the Democrats on this? 
You know, I don't think it's likely. Everything I've heard, uh, Susan Collins, I think, uh, indicated she wasn't going to go there. Uh, yeah. I would be surprised if uh, Senator Murkowski went there. There are only a few opportunities for Democrats to pick up a vote on here. And, and, and they realize it's just it's, it's strictly symbolic uh, and, and not even particularly symbolic since Democrats won't even be all together on their own. It's highly likely that Democrats can't count on Joe Manchin to support this. So uh, everyone's talking about getting to 60. Oh, well, you know, the filibuster. They're not going to get to 50. And that is a different problem for the Democrats. You heard it from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel here on Bloomberg Sound On. Great conversation. It's only Monday. We'll meet you back here tomorrow with more on all of this. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks to Angela Stent for being with us and Jordan Fabian as well. The fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.